John chapter 14. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. These things I have spoken to you while I I am still with you, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, and neither let them be afraid. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hallelujah. Join me in prayer, please. Father, Lord, we give you thanks and praise for this day. Lord God, we thank you for calling us out of our beds, Lord, and out of our sleep and into worship with the gathered body here at Christ Community Church. Lord, we thank you for allowing us to worship you. And so, Lord, this morning we pray that you would pour out your spirit upon us today, Lord, as we celebrate the day of Pentecost. And so, Lord, we pray that you would allow us and help us to worship you in spirit and in truth. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So last week, um, we celebrated the Ascension, right? And so we discussed how in the Ascension, the, Lord, uh, the, the church has now really kind of entered this, this season of waiting, right? And it's been a long season of waiting, right? We saw even as we finished up Revelation last week, um, where Jesus himself even promises that not only will he return, but he even states emphatically, he says, yes, he is coming and he is coming back soon. And so for us, knowing, but also having that assurance that Christ will indeed return, it's really, it's a comfort to us as we endure, as we wait out this long season of waiting. But then our text for today here in in the Gospel of John chapter 14, we read that Christ, he doesn't just promise us that he's going to come back and then he ascends and steps off the scene and kind of leaves us with a false sense of hope and wonder and and anticipation. Now what he does here, especially in chapter 14 of, of John, is he tells us, he says, This is a promise. He promises us an aid as we wait on him to come back. What he does is he promises us a helper. He promises us a comforter. He promises us his spirit, the Holy Spirit. And again, that's that's the whole point of why we're celebrating today, right? That's why the pyramids are red today, right? Because of the tongues of fire of the Holy Spirit that we read about in Acts chapter 2. And so today what we do is we actually celebrate that long-awaited day, that day when God told Ezekiel that he would remove our hearts of stone and put in hearts of flesh, but then he also told him that he's going to put his spirit within us in order to cause us to walk in his ways and to obey his commands. And there are a lot of things promised when the, with the coming of the Holy Spirit. There are a lot of signs and wonders and miracles that we see evidenced throughout the book of Acts and, frankly, throughout most of church history because of the work of the Holy Spirit within the people of God. In fact, just, just a few verses above where our text begins today in chapter 14, verse 12, 
Jesus even promises us that we will do greater things than he has done, not only because he has ascended back to the Father, but because the Spirit has been poured out on the church. And so with that, though, I started thinking, every single week, right before we come to the table and we confess and we, and we take of the Eucharist, we, we confess and pray one of the creeds together of the ancient church every single week. In the Apostles' Creed, and we'll do that in a minute, in the Apostles' Creed, we always pray, we believe in the Holy Spirit. In the Nicene Creed, which we'll look at today, we, we confess and we pray, we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshipped and glorified, and he has spoken through the prophets. So we all know these truths, right? I think every one of us in the room, we believe them. We confess them, not just when we're together with one another on Sundays, but also when we're out doing our regular lives in the community of Jackson. We believe and we confess these things. But at the same time, at least I know I do, we spend very little time focusing on the power and the work of the Holy Spirit within our everyday lives. Think of it this way. We, we live, we, we are redeemed by the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. That's the basic message of the gospel. This is what we share about Christ when we talk to unbelievers. This is what we tell them that has been promised to us, right? We have been promised to be raised in glorified bodies as Christ himself has been raised. But we live our entire lives within the age of the promised poured out spirit of Christ. And so this morning, just looking at this text, let's just reflect on a few of the truths of who the Holy Spirit is that Jesus promises us here in John 14. And then let us just confess these truths in the creed and when we come to the table. And so just starting in verse 15, Jesus says this. He says, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. This is a pretty big if, right? I mean, we, we kind of make the joke all the time that if is the biggest little word in the English language, right? It's, it's a huge little word. But it's a huge if that Jesus is calling us to here. He tells us that if we actually do love him, then we show our love for him. We show our love for him in many ways. We prove our love for him and that we are in him and that we are of him by the work of keeping the commandments he's given us. Our actions, our words, our deeds... Our responses, our motives, everything that we do in life declares what we truly care about in life. And so what Jesus does here is he kind of mic drops on us here. He drops this atomic bomb of this little word, if. And he tells us, if we actually do love him, if we truly love him, and if we are truly of him and in him, then we will show it to one another. We will show it to the world. We will even show it to him by keeping the commandments he has given us. And this seems kind of like an obvious thing, right? I mean, we claim to be Christians, right? So we, we think, well, you know, if we actually are Christians, then we're going to act like Christ. Now, I mean, you know, just a little look at, you know, anything around the community or anything around the world, you realize that's not always the case. But that's kind of the obvious no-duh moment, right? If you're Christians, you're going to be like Jesus. We show our love for Christ if we're truly Christians. I mean, just as an example, you show you love your spouse, right? I show that I love my wife. By not just telling her, right, which I do, right, I love you, right, but by the things that I do, right, like I take out the trash, right, now, I don't do it as fast as she'd like sometimes, right, I actually had to roll the garbage can out of the garage today because it needs to go out, right, but I do it in the way in which I work out my love in our regular lives, right, I stay faithful to her in our our covenant of marriage, we read scripture together, we pray together We show our love for one another, not just by telling each other, but by actually living it out. And so preaching on this text, Chrysostom actually noted in a sermon, he said this. He said, at all times, 
It is works and actions that we need, not just a mere show of words. He said it is easy. It's easy for someone to say or to promise something. But it is not so easy to act on that word or that promise. And so keeping Christ's commands kind of seems like an easy thing to do at face value, right? You love Jesus, you're going to keep the commands that he's given us. Because we know we're supposed to do it. We know we, know we want to do it. And we want to show Christ in the world that we love Jesus and we love his church and we love God. But it's not always that simple. And we know that just by living life. It's not always that easy. And so what Jesus does, and he knows this, and so he mentions here this expression of love in verse 15, not, not as a threat, but in order to help us properly define what love for him truly is. And so he makes us a promise. He, he tells us that if we're going to actually do the work of keeping his commands, we're going to need some help. Or more specifically, as he tells us, we're going to need a helper. And so he says, and so I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Augustine wrote on this text, he said, There is no love of Christ without the Spirit of Christ. And so without the aid of the Holy Spirit, keeping Christ's commands and therefore loving Christ is completely impossible. But consider the promise of the Spirit that Christ gives us here just within these two verses. In verse 16, he begins by pointing us directly to his own intercessory work that he does between us and the Father. And contained here within this promise of the sending of the Spirit, we have really this example of the love that Jesus has toward his bride. He may be going back to the Father, but he reminds us he's not forgotten us. Not only is the Spirit being sent, but Christ has now taken up his work of interceding to the Father on behalf of his bride. And so he promises to pray to the Father and to pray to the Father to send us another helper. Some of your translations that you might be looking at might read another advocate or another counselor. And so consider this counsel, consider this help in light of what Jesus tells us about keeping his commandments. This is a kind of obedience that is frankly beyond anything that we are able to achieve on our own or in our own power or in our own authority. So the Lord promises us divine assistance in the person of the Holy Spirit. And this is not only a comfort for us as we wait between the advents, but the sending of the Holy Spirit has always been the intention of God. Notice what Jesus says here. He says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. So think about the word order that he's using just in verse 16. He's going away, right? And for us, he has physically departed as we celebrated last week. And he's been gone a really long time. But here, in what Jesus has promised, he shows us that he has not abandoned his church. Now, even, even though he is our counselor and as our advocate and as our helper, he has ascended back to the Father. He tells us another helper will, will be sent. And not just for a short season. But as we read here at the end of verse 16, the helper has been sent to be with us always and forever. And here's one of those great moments where we could pause and reflect upon the truths that we confess in the creeds every week. We believe in the Holy Spirit, who is the Lord and who is the giver of life. And so telling us here in verse 16, this use of the word, Jesus' use of the word another is a very intentional word that he, that he uses here. It implies that he is the first helper to come, the first advocate, the first counselor 
but he is not the only helper to be sent to us from God. Gregory of Nazianzus wrote this. He said, the Spirit is called another helper so that we will acknowledge the Spirit's co-equality with Christ and with the Father. So Jesus promises us here in verse 16, it's not to ask the Father to send us some lesser form of help, but to send us fully divine help in the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And so he continues then to explain this promise of another helper in verse 17. And he shows us beginning there in that verse and really through the rest of our text for today, how the work of the Holy Spirit empowers the work of the church. And just within this verse alone, we see three qualities worthy of note here. He tells us, again, I will ask the Father and he will send you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. He tells us first that this is the spirit of truth. And earlier in the same chapter, in verse 6, Jesus refers to himself as the truth. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so he identifies, he identifies the Holy Spirit here in verse 17 as the spirit of truth. He is implicitly declaring to us that this is his co-eternal, co-equal spirit that he is praying to the Father to pour out on those who are his. So that they will abide in him. They will abide in truth. But second, he tells us in this verse that the world cannot receive the spirit. Look there again. He says this. Whom the father said, uh, even the spirit of truth. uh, I will pray to the father to send you another helper. Sorry, I skipped a little ahead when I was looking there. Uh, He said, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. This is one of those truths that really, in a lot of ways, is as heartbreaking to us as it is encouraging. Because the Holy Spirit is for the church. And this includes each and every heart that he has regenerated and brought to saving knowledge and faith in Christ Jesus. But the world does not love Christ. The world does not obey Christ. And just as those who have not been born from above cannot see the kingdom of God, as Jesus tells Nicodemus in John 3... This same truth regard this is the same truth regarding the Holy Spirit. Those who have not been born from above cannot know the Spirit of truth, because the world does not have a relationship and fully rejects the Spirit of truth. The world cannot see him because or the world cannot receive him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But finally, this actually leads to a third quality in this verse, where Jesus says this. He says, "But you." My disciples, you, my church, you know him because he dwells with you and will be in you. This is really a more intimate knowledge of who God is than the world could ever conceive of. But consider how this quality of the truth dwelling with us and in us is part of the Spirit's work as our helper. Jesus tells us that the Spirit, he dwells, he lives, as Jesus tells us, he dwells with us. Another way of translating this is the Spirit remains beside you. So there is a real intimate presence of the Spirit of God remaining with us, walking with us and beside us through life as we do the work of loving Christ and keeping his commandments. But Jesus also tells us here that the Spirit not only dwells beside us, he dwells in us. And really, this, this is nothing less than the full influence of the Holy Spirit upon the life of the church and the life of the believer. And so what Jesus is doing is he's using this language 
of intimate presence and intimate influence. And he's highlighting for us this indwelling nature and work of the helper, who is the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth. But then we come to verse 25, and it's really kind of a transitional verse. He says this. He says, these things I have spoken to you while I am with you. So he's again, he's reminding them, he's saying, look, I have been with you, but there's an implicit understanding. I'm also going away. Right? He said, he's telling the disciples that his role as our helper, his, his role as our advocate, is about to transition to another helper. Again, this is not a helper of a lesser quality, but one who is co-eternal and of the same co-essence with the Father and the Son. In another sermon on this text, Leo the Great stated this. He said, the Holy Spirit, he said, what, what was visible in Christ is now veiled in mystery. And so that faith might be more perfect and more steadfast, vision was succeeded by revealed truth. And so while Jesus in verse 25 is reminding the disciples that his role as our helper is about to transition to another, notice in verse 26 he says how the work of the Holy Spirit is more than just helping us do the work of loving Christ and of keeping his commands. But the Spirit's work is also to aid the church in her work of remembering. So he says this, verse 25, These things I have spoken to you while I am with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And I think there's two important truths in this verse that we should grasp this morning. Now, there's a lot more than two in this verse, right? But there's two especially that I want to point out first. Even though there's a transition at play here, we need to grasp that the Holy Spirit does not replace Christ. So with all this talk of his ascension, right? I mean, we celebrate the ascension of him being physically absent because he has ascended back to the Father. He bodily dwells next to the right hand of the Father. We can be easily tempted to assume that the Spirit has replaced Christ. But nothing could be further from the truth. And Jesus is reminding us of that in this one verse alone. The transition from Christ to the Spirit, in that transition from one advocate and helper to another advocate and helper, is not a transition of ministry. Christ does not cease to minister to his bride when the helper comes. Rather, both the Son and the Spirit serve in their respective roles, ministering to the church in perfect harmony. And this illustrates for us really the unity of the persons between the Trinity as Christ and the Holy Spirit co-minister to the bride of Christ. And this harmony of ministry leads to the second important truth within verse 26 here. And that is the spirit is being sent then to teach the church. Because in this teaching role is really one of the primary ways in which the spirit actually helps those of us who make up the church. Because this is how the ministry of Jesus continues through the Holy Spirit. Augustine stated this, he said, when the Son speaks, we take in his words. But when the Holy Spirit teaches, we understand those words. The Spirit's work of teaching is a continuation of the teaching role of Christ when he was bodily present on earth. And this is not to say that the Spirit eclipses the Son or, the, or his ministry eclipses the ministry of the Son, but rather the Spirit fills the, offer, the office of helper and teacher that was first occupied by the Lord Jesus. And so the Spirit will not only dwell beside us and in us for all time, but in his teaching ministry, the Spirit serves really like a prompter. 
as one who brings to memory everything that we must know and everything that Christ has already spoken. That means every lesson and every parable, every command and every commission. And this doesn't mean that the message of Christ was lacking. The Spirit does not add to the word that Christ proclaimed. Rather, the Spirit emboldens the word that Christ proclaimed. And he enriches the message of the Lord Jesus. And so with this assurance of divine help and the work of the Spirit within our lives, Jesus concludes here in verse 27 with a word of peace or a word of shalom, if you prefer. He says this. He says, peace I leave with you and my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled and neither let them be afraid. This is the peace. This is the shalom of God given through Christ and in the Holy Spirit. Meaning this is the peace that the world cannot offer us. For us, this is a brand new state of existence as we wait between the advents of Christ. And so in a world that's filled with violence and unjust wars and hedonism and murder and persecution and humiliation or even anxiety or depression, sickness and death, the Lord Jesus, through the power of the Spirit, imparts his peace. He imparts his shalom of his perfect union with the entire Godhead by sending the Spirit upon his people. But notice there's two qualities Here we are again with two, right? Here's two qualities to the peace of Christ, to the shalom of Christ in this one one verse. First, this peace is grounded in and belongs completely to the Lord Jesus. He says this, peace I leave you, my peace I give to you. This is the peace of Christ that surpasses all understanding. And this is the peace that the disciple of the Lord Jesus, those of us who follow him and love him and obey his commands, this is the peace we receive When the Holy Spirit is poured out onto us. But secondly, because Christ gives us his peace, this means that as his people, we can rightly claim the shalom of Christ. We can claim the peace of Christ. Again, he says this, peace I leave with you and my peace I give to you. This is one of the many reasons why we can pause before we partake of the Eucharist together and we can pass the peace of Christ to one another. Not just to remind ourselves to come to the table at peace with one another, but because Christ has actually given us his authority to pass his shalom to one another by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so the world, which Jesus has already told us in verse 16, cannot receive or know the Spirit It also cannot provide anything close to this kind of peace and shalom. It can try, but it will fail. This is why Jesus closes here in this verse, not only with a passing of his peace, but even more so with a word of encouragement by telling us this. He says, my disciple, Christian, church, by the indwelling Holy Spirit that I'm going to pray to the Father to send to you, and it has been poured out on you, you have my peace. So, do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not let them be afraid. And so as another celebratory season comes to a close, and we prepare to enter ordinary time or the season of the church, let us continually encourage one another to live within the shalom of Christ, the peace of Christ. Because we have not been abandoned. Rather, we have been empowered 
by the Holy Spirit who dwells beside us and dwells in us. Who is teaching us and who is helping us and aiding us as we do the work of loving Christ and obeying his commands. And so as we come to the table, let us proclaim the creed boldly today and every day from here on out that we believe in the Holy Spirit who is the Lord and who is the giver of life. And so may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.